Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 5. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about horrific hobbies, animal instincts, whiskey residents, and creepy camps. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. And thank you for your support. It's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening, from the Dead Canary, Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's anonymous writing collective, is entitled, My Neighbor Has an Unsettling Hobby. 
I know most of you have heard plenty of stories of possessed evil dolls or cursed toys that have caused who knows how much damage to their owners. But let me tell you, sometimes it's the most mundane things that can really freak you out. Unfortunately, I was too ignorant to help the one person who really needed my help at the time, but I hope it isn't too late to warn others, especially since it might be too late for me. There's a guy who lived next door to me. He wasn't at the end of the street or in some old drafty house. It was just a regular old colonial, but the guy was obsessed with Legos. I don't know if he was ever featured on the news or not, but he always had something new set up in his front yard. In February, he built a big heart with a life-sized Lego man, proposing to a Lego woman, which was actually pretty neat. In July, he reenacted that famous photo of the Iwo Jima flag-raising. It was a little silly, maybe, but with yellow Lego heads on the army men. But, uh, again, there was certainly nothing to sneeze at. But Halloween was when he went all out. Lego wolfmen, Lego vampires, Lego webs. He even had all of those torture device things he put up, like the rack, an Iron Maiden, thumbscrews, even things that wouldn't have looked out of place in a Saw movie. Thing is, not only did he build stuff really well, but most of it worked. The proposing Lego man's arm actually could move up and down. The two Iwo Jima flags, bendy, and could wave if pulled. And all those Halloween things? Yep, the Iron Maiden could close, and all those little traps could actually twist and turn. Not that anyone could hurt themselves. All the spikes in the Iron Maiden were missing, and the thumbscrew didn't actually drop, but I didn't even know that level of detail was possible. As far as the guy himself, he wasn't exactly what you expected from a 30-something guy who collected Legos. He was tall, fairly athletic, clean-shaven, no glasses. Even smelled like he showered regularly. But I guess collectors come in all shapes and sizes. He was always friendly with the neighborhood kids, and he'd even let them play with the stuff on the lawn as long as they didn't steal anything. Not that anyone really could, as on closer look, the Legos were all glued together. I assume superglue, but whatever it was, it was strong. I know one kid almost broke a nail trying to get one off once. It really made the neighborhood special, in a lot of ways, not the least of which, because at Christmas, he would send a few lucky kids in the neighborhood their own special toys. My own kids had been looking forward to getting their toys for a long time, but it hadn't happened yet. But then there was Chris. Chris was a teenager in the neighborhood who had a long history of discipline problems. He came from a broken home and was having issues in the foster system. He lashed out a lot in school. I knew him because I taught there, and he was in my math class. When I saw him struggling with his lessons, I offered to tutor him after school in the campus library, and he seemed to respond to it and to me. Still, I was sure that even if he trusted me more than... Most people, there was a lot he wouldn't tell me. I was pretty sure he stole little things like candy bars and other criminal acts. Nothing I could prove, and quite frankly, I liked him. And the less I knew about what he did when he wasn't in school, the better. It was a week or two after Halloween, just after dinner. 
when I got a knock on the door. It was Chris, and he had something under his coat. No, no, here it was. He asked me to sit outside with him for a minute. I got my coat, and he sat down with me on a bench in my front garden. Teach, there's something weird going on, and I don't know who else to tell. We can't go to the cops, because I didn't exactly find out about it legally. He reached out into his coat and pulled out a hammer. To look at it, it was like any other claw hammer you would see in a store, except it was entirely made out of Legos, top to bottom. The claw was even put together with the pointy pieces I hadn't seen in sets in a long time. I've never seen a children's toy look so intimidating. It shouldn't have been with all the yellow, blue, and red bricks making it up, but as it had been glued together with very strong glue, I'm pretty sure you could have done some damage with it. Chris, where'd you get this? I didn't need to ask, since I already knew, but the answer he gave still surprised me. That Lego guy. I wanted to see all the stuff in his basement, since I didn't get a chance to go over there on Halloween. But he had a door open in there, a door that you don't see when it's closed, going under the stairs. There's a chair in there, and this. He shook it. As strange as all this was, I didn't believe his story. I wanted to, because I wanted to believe he was a good kid, but I couldn't. As weird as a Lego hammer was, there was nothing wrong with it, and he had broken into a house. I didn't want to rat him out, but didn't know how to tell him without being a jerk about it. Chris, how about you talk to me about it tomorrow, after class? If you took that from the house, it's probably not going to help too much if they know you took that. He looked a little downcast that I didn't immediately go walking over there, but he didn't seem to be upset. Okay, but be careful. The stuff in his basement, other than that, is weird. I think he's up to something, Teach, and I don't want anything to happen to you. After Chris left, I looked over at the Lego guy's house. I figured he was a little odd with all his stuff, but criminal? Probably not. What was there to worry about? I got worried when Chris was not in school the next day. Nobody had seen him. I called his foster home, and they said he hadn't come back the night before. They'd already called the place themselves, afraid he had run away. Now, very concerned, after school, I went to my neighbor's house. His Thanksgiving decorations, usually up by now, were conspicuously absent. I knocked, but he still didn't answer. Just on a whim, I tried the front door and found it was open. I didn't know if I should go in, but considering what I'd heard the day before, I wanted to be sure everything was okay. I called in, asking if there was anyone there. I got no answer. I peeked in. In the front hall, there were the Thanksgiving Legos, a giant turkey, and pilgrim hat, but they were shoved against the wall, like they were pushed out of the way in a hurry. I called out again and noticed the basement door open. If I had known then what I know now, I would have just gone back and called the police and let them handle it. I guess more than anything, I was concerned about Chris than I was about how strange all of this was. But I went into the basement. The place was full of Lego constructions. You could barely walk 
for all the things that were shoved onto there, ranging from life-sized Lego people to scale model aircraft carriers, holiday decorations, and God knows what else. He had never put up even half of what he had built on display. And quite frankly, I was glad. Some of the things he had ranged from normal to downright disturbing. He had a model of the telltale heart built, with the psycho staring at the floor while the police stared at him in horror. The French Revolution, with the guillotine dropped and several Lego heads in a basket. And beyond those, some grotesque creature, all twists and turns, with no discernible head. It looked all wrong. A sculptured dolly would have had nightmares about. And it was eating Lego people in a scale model city. The Iron Maiden in the corner was shut, along with the other Halloween decorations, but there was no sign of anyone living anywhere. I went along the staircase, but I didn't see any room. I felt along the shelves attached to it, loaded with all the regular Lego fun sets you normally see, and found what felt like a handle built into the underside of one. It turned, and with the click, the hidden door opened. Inside was a small room, more a closet than anything. A single light bulb hung over a chair, with a table next to it in darkness. I pulled the lamp cord. On that table was the hammer Chris had shown me the other day, and next to it was a pile of teeth. I gagged and ran out of the closet. I stumbled over the proposing Lego man and knocked him over. For the first time, the glue cracked and his hand fell off. Underneath was a shriveled human hand. I scrambled up and down and saw the Iron Maiden once more in the corner. This time I saw a puddle beneath it and a pair of eyes in the slot of its door. Even though I couldn't see them clearly, I somehow knew they were Chris's eyes. I called the police. All signs showed Lego Guy had left town that morning, though they put out an APB for him. They found more bodies hiding inside the Lego figures. I didn't want to know more when they said it could be more than 15, all mummified and sealed away in their toy coffins. And the torture devices? DNA swabs showed they'd been used many times. They didn't know whose DNA it was, and since they had no one to compare it to, but many samples had been found. And Chris, I should have listened to him. I was shaken when they pulled his body out of the house. They still haven't caught him. He could be anywhere by now, in any town, putting up displays, maybe not Legos anymore. But I know he'll do anything to impress. I know because some boxes came in the mail for me. Well, not for me, but for my kids. They say, Merry Christmas. Be sure the kids get these on that very special day. I don't want to open them. But I'm afraid what might happen if I don't. All I know is the boxes smell like glue. Very strong industrial glue. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our second story today comes to us courtesy of author Jameson Koenig and is entitled The Rat King. I found it three weeks ago, or rather, I found them. A knotted circle of fur, claws, and death. Six rats, tangled together by their tails, thrashed about my front lawn with little direction. Their shrieks pierced the air of what was normally a quiet street. I was going outside to get the mail when I spotted them. I approached as close as I dared to get a better look. I couldn't imagine the diseases they were carrying. At least half of them were dead or dying, their weight a hellish burden on those still cursed with life. They would flail vainly against the knot trapping them together before briefly fighting amongst each other whenever they collided in their confusion. They did not understand why they were stuck, and they took their confusion and fear out on one another. Even from a safe distance... I could tell the bodies of the dead rodents had been partially eaten away. I could feel my breakfast threatening to free itself at the sight. I'd never seen anything so horrid and depressing, but I'd be damned if I went anywhere near that collage of nightmares. I safely retreated back inside my house and called animal control. In a few short hours, my doorbell rang. I was greeted by two animal control workers, with a third worker standing on my lawn. He held a clear plastic bag, the awful circle of rats, motionless inside. The first man introduced himself as Brian. He was a tall, heavyset gentleman who stared at me behind a dark pair of aviators and held a toothpick between smoke-stained teeth. He immediately asked if I had experienced any other rodent issues in or around my property. When I explained that I had not, He simply rolled the toothpick from one corner of his mouth to the other, grunting in acknowledgement and fidgeting with the bill of his beige company hat. Kevin, the younger worker, explained to me the significance of what I had stumbled upon. His over-enthusiasm was a little unsettling. The jumble of rats I had found was called a rat king. It was a phenomenon that resulted from a population of mice or rats that had become stuck together and been unable to free themselves. This was often after coming into contact with some sort of sap or tar-like substance. Once enough of the rodents become stuck this way, their flailing would result in the crude circle formation that found its way onto my lawn. As Kevin gleefully described this peculiarity, I silently decided to skip lunch. He only stopped to breathe once Brian put an imposingly large hand on his shoulder and interjected. 
The thing is, these rats were tied together by their tails. That only happens when there's a huge mess of them somewhere. But this is the first one I've ever seen. Confess, Brian. Well, that was comforting. I explained that I'd only been in this home a few months. My wife and I had bought it, and I had moved in ahead of her while she finished the final few months of her contracted employment. Is there any chance I just didn't notice the signs of an infestation? I asked, imagining my walls filled to the brim with rodents. Both workers shook their head immediately. With the amount of rats it takes to make one of those things, you'd have known this place was infested after about five minutes. Brian said in his southern accent, soaked into the emphasis. I was partly relieved, knowing that we hadn't purchased ground zero of the next plague. Still, that didn't explain how the rats had made their way onto my lawn. As if reading my mind, Brian quickly attempted to assuage my fears. He explained that animal control was going to check to see if there was any sign of an infestation in the nearby drainage system. Kevin recommended that I have some pest preventative services done around the exterior of my home just to be safe. I went ahead and scheduled an internal inspection as well, not fully trusting my own ability to spot a rat infestation. I figured that being proactive was the best way to get ahead of the game. It was over a week before I heard anything regarding the rats again. The exterminator thankfully saw no signs of any infestation in or around my home. I opted for some outside traps anyway, unable to fully shake the sight of the tangled mess of rats from my mind. I hadn't received any updates from Brian, so I assumed animal control hadn't discovered some awful rat colony making their home in the sewers. I wasn't particularly afraid of rodents, but the thought of the circumstances which produced a rat king were enough to give anyone chills. I pictured thousands of rats piled on top of each other with nowhere to move. In that horrid pile of confusion, their tails becoming knotted, joining them for the rest of their inevitably short lives. I could almost hear their squeaks and shrieks of fear and instinctive rage attacking their fellow prisoners who were just as innocent as they were in the tragic merging. But it would be a different sound that brought them back into my life. I was busy unpacking boxes for a study. My wife was the one who owned all these books, and for months I had procrastinated in unpacking them and putting them up. Unenthusiastically, I cut the tape on the third box when I heard a noise. It was faint, but still clearly the sound of scratching. I immediately stood and walked out into the living room, which served as the center point of the house, to listen for where the sound was coming from. It took only a moment to determine that the scratching was coming from the front door. It was similar to the scratching sound our cat Kane made when he wanted to come back inside. Knowing Kane was still three states away with my wife, I approached the door slowly and peered through the peephole. It was difficult to see the porch surface, but it didn't appear as if anything was there. I unlocked and opened the door, but found nothing on the other side, beside an empty porch. 
I thought that maybe some animal had wandered up to the wrong house. I took a few steps out into the night to see if I could catch a glimpse of anything. I did. In fact, I caught a glimpse of twelve things. The second I saw the rats, they screeched, as if the approach of some predator sent them into a panic. I'd be lying if I said I didn't scream, too. How could I not? This Rat King was twice as large as the first one, and this time it seemed most of the unfortunate were still alive. They attempted to flee every which way, falling over each other and dragging the smaller ones about. I had heard that rats were normally clean creatures, but whatever pit these had crawled out of, it branded them with a foul rank that brought on just as much nausea as the sight of it all. I stumbled back, nearly retching then and there. What the hell's going on? Why was there another one? These, among many other questions, rattled my brain as I retreated back into my home. The scratching sound I heard, there was no way that screeching circle of hell had caused it. And what of Brian and Kevin? Weren't they supposed to check to make sure there wasn't an infestation? I had no answers, and all I could do was wait until the morning to call animal control again. I had a nightmare that night. I dreamt I was lost somewhere in the sewer, blindly trying to find my way around with no light source of any kind. I began to panic, quickening my pace until I was sprinting through the damp, foul labyrinth. I've never recalled being able to smell in a dream before. But I sure could in those sewers. The same awful stench belonging to the Rat Kings possessed my nose, only intensifying as I ran with reckless abandon. Inevitably, I tripped, and I awaited the awful splash of sewage as my body toppled toward the ground. The splash never came. I instead landed on hundreds of small, furry bodies. I knew... The lake of rats squealed both beneath and around me, swelling in size as my terror became their terror. Tried to stand, but they were already crawling over me, weighing me down. I screamed, but it was a whimper compared to the endless screeches of a panicked horde. I flailed wildly, trying to shake myself free, and pushed them off in an identical frenzied fear. I looked down at my feet, only to see countless tails wrapped around my ankles, tied together in a fleshy pink and beige knot. I tried to scream again, but I was silenced under the pile of fur and tar. Nothing kept me from screaming when I woke up. I wanted to cry. I'm not ashamed to say that. I do so every time I have to put a pet down or while watching the first 20 minutes of Disney's Up. But I cannot, for the life of me, remember the last time I was so afraid that I was nearly brought to tears. Only the fact that it was a nightmare kept me from losing it. I called animal control immediately and was fortunate enough to be transferred directly to Kevin due to it being an open and ongoing case. I think he could tell how shaken I was over the phone, despite my best efforts to keep it together. He promised me they would head to my house immediately. An hour later, I'd regained my composure, and I wasn't shaking like a fool when I stood out on the lawn watching Kevin slide the second Rat King into an even bigger bag than the last one. 
I had asked that they wait to fetch me until after they did what they needed in order to deal with the rats that were still alive. I didn't want to watch that part, a mercy or not. Brian was scratching his head, not quite as bewildered as I was, but he certainly lacked the reassuring demeanor he wore when we first met. I'll be up front with you. We're a bit stumped on this one, he admitted, continuing to uh, scratch his head. I don't understand. You said that there had to be a huge infestation to make these things. I said, incredulous at his complete lack of insight. Yes, and I'll say it again, too. These things don't just happen when there's a handful of rats around. His tone suggested he had taken a slight offense to me, quoting his own words back to him. So what did you find in the sewers? I pressed, ignoring his tone. I didn't have the patience for his pride while giant circle of rats were still appearing on my lawn. That's the thing, we found nothing. He said with a shrug. There's a couple of them running around down there, always is, but nothing near what it should take to make one of those suckers. He gestured back towards the contents of the bag as Kevin sealed it up. I ran my hands back up through my hair, trying not to get frustrated. Taking a moment to calm myself, I managed to ask, So what do you suggest I do? My tone as respectful as I could muster. Brian and Kevin shared a reluctant look, one that created a pit in my stomach. That pit ballooned into a canyon when the senior of the duo broke the news. Honestly, sir, it might be time to consider that it could be someone leaving these things here. Brian said, even behind his aviators, I could tell his face was grimacing behind the weight of his words. I- I'm sorry, what did you say? I asked. Honestly, I heard him word for word. My mind, however, wasn't ready to process the implications of what he just said. Brian sighed, removing his hat and revealing his heavily balding scalp. I imagined something like this was out of his depth, but how did he think I felt? I'm saying you might want to notify the police. He clarified, which only added to my mountain of questions. Because someone might be leaving these things in my yard on purpose? I laid out his insinuation, as if he had asked me to believe in the tooth fairy. He nodded. Afraid so. I'm telling you that these things don't just pop up. He gestured to the direction of our sewer drains. There's nothing down there close to what you would need to make these things. Which means some sick freak made that thing and dropped it off in my lawn? I knew the answer. It wasn't that hard to piece together. Saying it out loud just made it a bit easier to believe, if not to stomach. We don't know for certain, but for your safety, I'd file a report if nothing else said Kevin, chiming in. Anyone who would do that to an animal pest or not is just not right in the head. Despite the fact the day was now worse than it had started, I thanked both of them for getting out here so soon 
and being upfront about everything. At the very least, the second Rat King was gone. But I needed to decide if I was going to tell the police about it, not to mention my wife. As a token of goodwill, Brian said he'd come by the next day to check the drain near my home again. The first inspection had already shown that there was no infestation, but I appreciated that he was willing to check once more, if only to confirm the initial conclusion of his work. That evening I called the local police station, who said they'd send an officer by in the morning to take my statement and file a report. Afterwards, I called my wife, but for the life of me I could not bring myself to tell her anything about the rats over the phone. She was so busy trying to meet the deadlines of her contract, not to mention packing up the rest of our stuff, that it felt wrong. I felt that adding a nice stack of we might have an animal torturing stalker to her plate would only give her a panic attack. Regardless, it wasn't as if she could help from where she was. I promised myself that I'd tell her soon, but at the very least, I wanted to wait until I had a chance to speak to the police and figure out my next steps. That night I dreamt I was in the sewers again. This time I wasn't lost or panicked. Instead, it felt like I knew exactly where I needed to go. I eventually came upon a woman who looked as if she had no business being in a sewer. She was tall, draped in a spotless black dress that contrasted her pale skin. Much like her dress, her skin was flawless, like it had never suffered so much as a scratch. Her delicate hands tucked jet black hair behind her ears, revealing bright red lips curved upward in a disarming smile. Calling her beautiful would sell her woefully short. She reached out a hand and beckoned for me to join her. She spoke to me, but I couldn't recall what she said. I only remember that her voice was inviting, and I walked towards her without so much as a second thought. The moment I took her hand, the dream ended, and I woke up to the blare of my alarm. Guilt loomed over me during breakfast. That dream was infinitely better than drowning in rats, but it still felt overtly real. I thought of my wife and felt ashamed of how easily I went to the woman when beckoned. I know it wasn't real, but the fact I didn't even think of my wife in the presence of this impossibly beautiful woman still upset me. Luckily, I wasn't able to mull in my shame for very long when I heard the police knocking on my door. They had sent a single uniformed officer, whose face I couldn't read very well, as I recounted the grotesque events of the past week. I made sure to mention that animal control should have my case documented, so that I wouldn't come off as a paranoid nuisance or an LSD enthusiast. Fortunately, Brian's van pulled up alongside the curb while I was giving my statement. I pointed to him and waved, not so subtly hinting, that he was the man who could verify my sanity. The officer gave me a card with the information I needed if I wanted to follow up on the report, and left to go speak with Brian. I felt better after reporting what all had happened, and while still troubled by the whole debacle, I was at least comforted by the fact I wasn't sitting on my hands and waiting for the worst. That evening, I went out to check my mail. It wasn't until I was already at the mailbox that I noticed Brian's van was still parked near the curb. I walked over to and found no sign of Brian, but I did find the manhole cover removed, 
and placed to the side. I called out into the corridor, but there was no answer. I used my phone's flashlight to try and see down into the sewer. I was worried that he may have been injured and unable to call for help. The flashlight wasn't much use, and I couldn't see the ground very well. The light did, however, reflect off the metallic frames of a pair of aviators I recognized instantly. I called out for Brian again, louder and less composed than before. There's always a chance he just dropped them when descending into the drain, but in the back of my mind I feared something much worse. In hindsight, I should have called the police first. Instead, I sprinted inside to grab a flashlight and put on a pair of more durable pants and boots. Dread tends to fill the mind with worst-case scenarios, and I imagine the overweight smoker having some sort of heart attack while I was alone and out of sight. Ryan had come out for a second inspection to alleviate my fears, and now my guilt fueled my obligation to help. Running back outside, I quickly climbed down the iron bars fastened onto the concrete walls. The reality of my own naivety didn't strike until I reached the bottom. The neighborhood and the region around it was prone to flooding. When we bought our house, the real estate agent made sure to inform us of that fact. She had reassured us that the government had installed large drainage piping to reduce the risk. She wasn't lying. The tunnels were massive. I stood over six feet, and even I would have no problem walking straight into them. That would be good news if it weren't for the complete lack of lighting beyond my flashlight. The manhole connected to the middle of a large concrete pipe with only a black void of darkness waiting on either side. I wanted to call out for Brian, but something told me I shouldn't. There was this odd, instinctive voice that just kept repeating, Be silent. With nothing more than Brian's glasses at my feet, I had no idea which direction to search first. Suddenly I heard the faintest sound of scratching down the right path. The noise sent chills across my body and goosebumps covered my skin. It wasn't just scratching, but I couldn't help but think back to the sound I heard before I found a second circle of rats. Despite my fears, I knew there was a chance Brian was hurt, and that noise could be the only way for him to call for help. I headed down the path on my right, my flashlight barely strong enough to avoid getting swallowed, by the dark tunnel. It had been nearly two weeks since our last rain, so only the faintest trickle of water flowed steadily down the middle of the pipe. I'd always imagined the sewers as a much scarier dungeon-like underworld, filled with corridors and iron-barred gates. I should have realized the plain reality would not match the medieval European picture I'd seen in movies and video games. Part of me had worried it would match the sewers of my recent dreams, but I was so far off base that it made me feel silly as I thought back on the nightmare. The pipe was just a straight shot with smaller pipes leading into its sides as it headed towards whatever waterway it emptied out into. It didn't smell great, but the unchanging gray of concrete was much less imposing than what my imagination had cooked up. I was confident that I would have to run into Brian with how straightforward this system was. After a minute or so of walking, my flashlight found a point in the pipe up ahead where it connected to another larger pipe. 
I didn't like the idea of another potential path. Every turn made my chances of getting lost that much higher. I decided I would peek down that path, but would turn around if I didn't see any sign of Brian. As I neared the intersection, the smell in the pipe began to worsen. It didn't take long to recognize it as the same stench I had come into contact with twice before. I could also hear the scratching, louder and more plentiful than before. I covered my nose and pressed on. No infestation. Yeah, right. I thought to myself. Maybe Brian had found the elusive infestation of rats and had just been down here dealing with them. If they were bad enough to create one of those awful rat rings, then I could see how it might be an all-day project. As I rounded the corner, I was prepared to call out and make sure that I didn't scare the man while he worked. I bet I looked rather stupid, with that relieved look on my face, and a mouth already open to make a snide comment. Whatever I expected to find, my jaw snapped shut and I froze in my tracks as I saw a horrendously different scene. Rats. Thousands. They covered every inch of the pipe's floor, swelling halfway up the sides. The piping echoed with the scratching sound of their skittering feet. The huddled masses made no other sounds as they shuffled about in a busy fashion. In their silence, I had confused them for being much further away when I turned the corner, and the primal fear that gripped me locked my feet up in place. In the middle of the horde was a large pile of what looked like to be a mixture of trash and sticks, soaked cardboard folded over twigs of every size, with piles of wet leaves filling in the gaps. The rats surrounding it circled continuously as if patrolling a small perimeter. A nearby storm drain opening dropped just enough natural light for me to see exactly what sat on top of the pile. It was much too large to be a rat. I'd have guessed it was a large dog suffering from severe mange if it weren't for the hulking pink tail that curled around its resting place. Its flesh was pale, bare except for inconsistent patches of black fur. The fur was thickest at the head, with long black locks that looked more like human hair than that of a rat. Yet, the pointed snout, thick whiskers, and bulging eyes screamed rodent much louder than any human trait. Its jaw hung slightly agape, as if malformed to the point where it did not match the top of the mouth. Drool poured out of the sides in slow, drooping streams, dropping onto the circling rat guard below. The awkward jaw curled up and it almost looked like the creature was smiling as it watched the endless parade from what I figured to be a bed. Slowly, it reached out its hand. Its fingers were thin and excessively long. The pale digits gently reached into the marching black mass and plucked a single rat from his patrol. The rat sat completely still in the delicate grip of the overlord, picked another worthy candidate from the endless flow. I watched in a nauseous horror as the monstrosity slowly gripped the motionless rats and began to tie their tails together. Not unlike the rest of the horde, there wasn't so much as a squeak of protest from the two victims. Holding them gently, 
The horrid thing reached back into the infinite supply below to select a third member for nodding. It didn't take me long to figure out what it was making. A gasp escaped my throat before I even had the chance to stifle it, and the creature's head snapped in my direction. Every tiny foot in the pipe became still. The rat beast seemed to study me for a moment, but I could not see any curiosity in the milky-white pools that made up its eyes. Slowly, it rose up as if to sit on its hind limbs, and I discerned that I had greatly underestimated its size. Six pairs of swollen nipples jutted out from chest to stomach. Surrounding them were endless bed sores oozing with pus and staining the alabaster skin a bruised red. Beneath where the creature had been laying, I spotted the pool of bright pink. Hundreds of baby rats lay shifting and squirming as they fought their way to the top of what I now understood to be a nest. None of this made any sense. I needed to run. Don't run, commanded the voice in my head. My feet wouldn't move, or maybe I just didn't want to run. It's okay. Don't be afraid. The voice was soothing, familiar. I felt myself relax. Some part of me resisted. Screaming to hold on to my fear, I, I still didn't run. Come here. She beckoned. I knew what called to me. The black sea of rats slowly parted, opening a pathway to the swollen monstrosity. Her arms slowly reached out as if for an embrace. My mind was cloudy, but still I did not run. I walked towards her. As I walked, the obedient rodent children sat still as stones, putting the silence of mice to shame. My mind struggled, failing to grab and hold on to a single thought other than the command to walk. My vision blurred, and the monstrosity that had summoned me began to change. Her features warped and twisted, and soon the woman in black from my dreams stood in her stead. I had never been near something so beautiful in my life. Her arms were still outstretched, waiting for me to join her. Little by little, my thoughts melted away until there was only her. I stepped into her arms and wrapped my own around her pale body. She had chosen me for a purpose. The dreams, this kingdom, and a crown handmade by the queen herself were all for me. In her embrace, I came to understand the truth. I was always destined to be right at her side. I am the Rat King. She leaned down and whispered into my ear, You are mine. And I was. For a moment. Somewhere in the farthest reaches of my mind, a single memory persisted. It was the only image remaining that was not of her. It was my wife, the one who I had bought a home with, the one who was working to exhaustion so that she could join me in our new adventure, the one who was waiting for me to call her. I grasped that memory and held on as hard as I could, tearing myself free from the force that had caged the rest of my mind. I pushed her off me, 
and I saw not the alabaster beauty, but instead the monstrosity for its true appearance. Her bloated frame swayed backwards, and her weight carried her off the nest and onto hundreds of her loyal servants. Her massive tail flailed to balance her, and instead swiped off another tens of rodents into the air. Her clouded eyes shot towards me, and just for a second, I could swear her deformed, ill-fitting face looked sad. That sadness was replaced by the most horrid of shrieks. I staggered back, trying to cover my ears from the piercing sound as it nearly ruptured my eardrums. Her legion of previously mute and motionless rats joined in with their chorus of shrieks and squeals as I turned to run. I could feel the sound of her fury cut into my bones. My legs carried me faster than I think I've ever run. I could feel the vibrations of thousands of large, angry rodents giving chase. I never looked back, but their sound carried so horribly well through the pipes that I thought they were right on my heels. I expected my legs to soon be overcome by the horde, swallowing me in a most excruciating death. But the moment never came. I made it to the iron-barred ladder and climbed up and out of the manhole without a single glance to the rabid void that chased. I sprinted to my car, grabbing the magnetic spare tire key under the tire, and peeled out of the driveway. Half an hour passed before I felt safe enough to pull over. Eventually, I begrudgingly gave in to logic. I'd taken off without my wallet, keys, or phone. I had to go back. Eventually, Brian would be reported missing, and it wouldn't look good that I had just driven off in a panic. I dreaded the trip back, half convinced that the Black Fur Army would be waiting inside my home to drag me back into the sewers. Surprisingly, nothing awaited me when I arrived. My home was as empty as I had left it. I closed the front door behind me before I slumped against the wall and broke down crying. When I composed myself, I called my wife just to hear her voice. I assured her everything was okay, even though she could tell it wasn't. I promised I'd explained it all to her, and this time I really will. My next call was to the police. I don't have much to say about the investigation, but I can tell you I've been questioned repeatedly. I haven't been charged with anything yet, and I haven't found Brian's body. Even his aviators were gone, along with any sign of the Rat Kingdom I stumbled upon. The only new evidence was a third Rat King. Twenty-four of the biggest rats I'd ever seen, all neatly tied together like before, placed right on my porch. A call to the police and another round of questioning later. I'm here, writing this tale. I'd give anything to just pack up and leave this place tonight, but with the investigation, it'll only look like I'm responsible for Brian's disappearance. Still, I know I'm not safe here. Even now, that monster is down there in the sewers, plucking rats from her crowded kingdom to make another offering, the third of which proved she had not given up on her king. My wife and I just wanted a place to make new ties. Instead, I'm stuck here, alone, tangled in knots, and I can feel them getting tighter. (laughs) 
Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season, or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show, but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases, including premium versions of our other shows, such as the Simply Scary Podcast and Horror Hill. Not only that, but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Thank you very much for your support. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Programs artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, Do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. 
As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.